I would like to invite Richard Ham to come up on the stage. If there he is, um, we would like to just. I think he, I believe he spoke in the German service, and uh, he's a little bit more known to the people in the German congregation or the German service. And we thought it would be only right for him to come and show his beautiful face up here as well. And so, yeah, yeah. Um, and so he has a few words that he wants to share with us. And I just want you to know that if you have not heard him speak, um, you can go to the website. And there is actually a Plotdeutsch service area there for you. And it is all in low German as well. And so you'll know your way around that. And so uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to him uh, uh, speak yet, uh, please go and take a look at that. And so now you will hear him speak live. <laughs> well, you told me there just, just to... Uh, let my face show. I was going to bring my wife up too, but but uh, she she was kind of shy, like. And uh, but yeah, I'm R- uh, Richard Ham. Uh, some call me Diedrich Ham. If you uh, maybe some of you call me uh, remember me by Diedrich, that's fine. And uh, uh, I don't want to want to say too much here because of the time. But right now we are uh, uh, lay pastors in the Elmer EMMC Church. We have been there for four and a half years now before we were in the mission field. So maybe sometimes later I can tell you more. If I go into that, it takes, it takes too long. So, yeah, God bless you. That's, that's what I want to say. Let's welcome. Let's, let's pause for a word of prayer. Father God, we want to thank you um, for Richard and Elizabeth. We thank you, God, for their willingness to serve. And Father, we again, we look to you for, um, for direction. And Father, we are excited about them possibly being part of the team here. And but Lord, we do need to know from you if this is your will, and we are leaning on you, and we are asking you, God, to direct their lives and also the life of this church. And Father, in the midst of all that happens, um, we ask, God, that you would be the one who would build your church. We know that you will. And we know that you want to use us to be part of that. And so, Father, I just pray um, through this whole thing that you would again lead us. At this time, I also want to pray for the other um, prayer items that are there. We still know of other people that are sick in our community. And we think of Greta and think of Romano again and and others, God, who have uh, um, experienced sicknesses and illnesses and setbacks this week. Father, I also want to thank you for your many blessings and the blessings of this building, the blessings just to be able to gather like this. And I pray now, God, as your word is preached, that you would go before us, that you would touch the hearts of those that need to hear what is spoken here today. Father, that indeed these would be your words. In your name I pray. Amen. A number of months ago when Pastor Steve and I, we we, um, met together to talk about uh, the sermon series called Facing the Storm. And one of the things that we, we decided was that we would wrap the series up with this, with this sermon on forgiveness. I will say this on the outset. I believe that this sermon today, for some of you, will cause different emotions, it will cause different reactions, a different response. Whenever one talks about forgiveness, the truth is we are sort of forced to look into the past. Often, if not always, the topic of forgiveness also brings up pain. It brings up hurts. brings up sorrows that may even bring up some wrongs that have been done 
And like I said, we often are forced to go back into our lives and to look at what are some of the stuff that's there that may need to be forgiven. I thought as I prepared for the sermon that a perfect text for us to work from is a text found in Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 37. And if there's some of you here today, you do not know who Jesus is. If you do not know who this person, when they talk about Him, they led Him up to be crucified. If you do not know who this guy is, His name is Jesus. And let me just give you a short little introduction to this Jesus guy. He was the Son of God. Jesus was sent and He came to this earth for God so loved the world. And that was the reason why Jesus came. Because He loved us and God knew that humanity needed someone to be able to pay the penalty, to pay the price for all the sin that is in the world. And Jesus was the perfect Lamb. The perfect One to do that. So let's read this passage about Jesus and His crucifixion. Luke chapter 23, verse 32, it says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saves others, let him save himself. If he is the chosen of, if he is, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked, came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. Whether you believe in this Jesus or not, one thing is true. That is remarkable. Whether you believe that He is the Son of God or not, that event, that moment, to be able to forgive in that moment like that is remarkable, whether you believe Him to be the Christ or not. I want to take a moment today and address this issue or this topic of forgiveness with a number of different questions. And I trust that as we ask these different questions, one of the things you will find yourself understanding is what this thing really is, how it should work, what it means to me, how am I supposed to apply it into my life, and to have a true understanding of what forgiveness is. Forgiveness. If we ask the question, what is forgiveness? Corey Tamboom, she says this, Forgiveness is the act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Forgiveness is the act of the will regardless of how we feel, regardless of what our emotions might be, regardless of what our experiences are. It is the act of the will. And if you know Corey Tamboon, if you know her story a little bit, that is a remarkable thing to say considering the incredible torment and suffering that woman endured. Donald Miller shares another definition of of, uh, forgiveness from what he heard from his pastor, and his pastor shared this with him, and this this is what his pastor's definition was. It says, Taking the burden that someone has given you and carrying it without ever holding them responsible. So the burden doesn't go away. 
But emotionally, you are no longer holding this person responsible for what you are carrying. Forgiveness is letting go of the burden, the responsibility, I should say, of the burden that someone caused you. Releasing them. A man by the name of uh, Mr. Tripps, he says this, Forgiveness is the miracle of a new beginning. It is to start where we are, not where we wish we were, or the other person was. It is to hold out our hand, to want a new, renew a friendship, to want a new relationship with husband, father, daughter, friend, or indeed enemy. It may not take away the hurt, it does not deny the past injuries, it does not ignore the possibility or the, and the need for repentance and a change in the relationship. It means being willing to take the initiative in dealing with any barriers that may be raising towards a restored relationship. That's a pretty big mouthful for a definition of what forgiveness is. But forgiveness is letting go. It is a new beginning. It is an act of the will. Forgiveness is for everyone. Then we might ask the question, well, why should we forgive? Why forgive? After all, the wrong was so bad, or it's been so long ago, or, or whatever the, you know, the obstacles may be, why should we forgive? April 6, 1994, the Rwandan's president, his plane was shot down. Within hours of the president's assassination, the extremists in the Hutu government ordered an unofficial military group of 30,000 soldiers to carry out the systematic slaughter of the Tutsis and the moderate Hutu who they blamed for the president's assassination. Blaring radio propaganda targeting the Tutsis as subhuman cockroaches. They used the Tutsis' own identification cards to hunt them down and to find them. Find them. Rampaging across the country, hundreds of thousands of ordinary Hutu were swept into this violence, and oftentimes they were pressured and forced to kill neighbors and family members. Executions continued for over a hundred days, until finally the RFP crossed the Rwandan border and conquered the capital city, overthrowing the Hutu regime. By the time it was all done, it is estimated that somewhere between 800,000 to 1 million Rwandans had been killed. A number as troubling is that anywhere from 500,000 to 1 million people had physically taken part in the killing. What do you do as a country? Anywhere up to a million people have been murdered simply for who they are. And it's possible that somewhere up to 500,000, half of a million people are guilty of murder. What do you do as a country? How do you bring about justice? How do you bring the country back together without there just being years and years and years of revenge? In the weeks following the genocide, approximately 120,000 people were arrested for perpetrating the killings. 
At this time, it was estimated that there were only around 10 Rwandan lawyers remaining in the country. A prison system that only held around 10,000 people. It became clear that in order for justice to fully take effect, it would take up to 150 years to officially try all those who were incarcerated. So with little hope for full justice, the Rwandans eventually turned to a completely different resolution. They turned to reconciliation. In a documentary called As We Forgive, a documentary that will be watched this Friday at Tehillah Night for senior youth, young adults, and those of you that are in young marrieds, I would encourage you to come out. In this documentary, one of the bishops is asked the question, why should Rwandan victims of the genocide forgive? And I would ask Dan if he would play that clip for us now, please. Many people ask me, why should a survivor of the genocide in Rwanda forgive somebody who murdered either their mother or husband or brother or sister or have all the family gone when you consider a million people who got destroyed by the cruelest means ever known, hacking people to death with machetes and banging children on walls. Why do you think victims of the genocide should forgive? First of all, forgiveness releases them. The bitterness of the loss, the heart of the loss, the missing of their beloved ones, the desire to revenge, the desire for bitter justice against those perpetrators is so great. And that eats them up. When they forgive, they get released. It's not only serving the release of the guilt of the perpetrator, it also releases them, and then they can think right. They can contribute to the reconstruction of their country. Those perpetrators after they get forgiven, and they come to us say, can you help us to do something to, to show, to reflect our remorse? And now they are building houses for their victims. What an incredible story. Why should they forgive? What did he say? It releases them. It releases them so that they can think straight and contribute to building up the country what was broken, that was broken down. Have you ever considered the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, and as we just read in this text, because Jesus, one of the last words that He said, Father, forgive them. And you might say, well, there you go, Ike. He didn't forgive them Himself. But I believe that if in that moment, in that incredible pain that Jesus was in, in that moment, to be able to pray for the forgiveness of someone else, forgiveness had to have been offered by the individual. Have you ever considered the fact that because Jesus forgave those that were persecuting Him, that Jesus died completely free? There was no accusation anyone could now throw at Him. The last thing, or one of the last things He did was forgive. Jesus died free from anything anyone could ever say to Him. He could have forgiven later, but He didn't. He forgave 
right away. Forgiveness sets you free. And that is why we should forgive. You might ask the question, how do you forgive? How do you forgive someone? How do you, as what you saw in this video, how do you forgive people who have done such incredible wrongs? How do you forgive someone who has caused you so much pain? I'll admit that my answer may not feel or may not sound like much of an answer. But this is something that came to me as Marie and I were driving back from Cincinnati a few weeks ago, and my mind just keeps going back to this. And so I want to share it with you to wrestle with. Here's what I came up with. How do you forgive when you recognize what you must do and then you do it? How do you forgive when you recognize what you must do and then you do it? You might say, well, that's not much of an answer. Let me ask you this. How do you love? You might say, well, I buy flowers. I give hugs. I give kisses. I show sympathy. I, I this, I that. In honesty, aren't those expressions of love? Those are beautiful expressions of love. Those are necessary expressions of love. But how do you love? You choose to love. There may be many forms, there may be many beautiful expressions of forgiveness, but forgiveness cannot happen unless you and I recognize that that it is something we must do, and then we do it. That is how you forgive. Regardless of the temperature of the heart, it is an act of the will. Well, how often then should we forgive For this, I would like you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. Jesus has been talking to His disciples and and He was telling them, you know, about what to do when someone wrongs them. You know, you should first go to someone. If if someone has wronged you, then then go to the person directly. And if that can't resolve the issue, then take someone with you. And if if that doesn't resolve it, then take it to the church. And, And this is beautiful formula of what to do when someone wrongs you. And it seems like right after this, Peter has the same question we might have today. Okay, well, how often do I forgive? And Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, This is a question. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Listen to that. It's not just when he irritates me. It's not just when he cuts me off on the street. It's not just when he does something minor. No, when he sins, when he purposely has sinned against me. Peter raises a number and he says, up to seven times? He's asking, he doesn't know, he wants to know, is seven times enough? Jesus answered Peter and he tells him, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy times. I think what Jesus is saying here to Peter, okay Peter, you know what? Seven times is good. Seven times is good. But always is better. In some of your translations, it might say 70 times 7. That's an enormous number. Jesus was letting Peter know here. When someone sins against you, regardless of how often, regardless of how bad, you always must forgive. That is a difficult answer to swallow. But that is what Jesus commanded. Another question then is, when... When should I forgive? 
I've kind of answered this already because I keep jumping ahead of myself, but when should I forgive? Well, let's go back to the original text. It says that Jesus was led to the place called the skull, and there they crucified Him. And while the nails were still driven through His skin, while the thorn of, a crown of thorns was still pounded into His skull, while the wounds were still wide open and the blood was still running from His body, Jesus forgave. He forgave in the moment. Understand this. You saw there that the leaders were making calls and, and making remarks that were insulting to Him. These, technically, Jesus should have, these should have been the people that would have been Jesus' PR people. These would have been the leaders of, of the people. They should have been the ones saying, we have read the law of Moses. We know that Moses, and we know that the Old Testament has pr promised the Messiah, this is Him, you can't crucify Him. But instead of those people being in Jesus' defense, they were insulting Him. They were responsible for part of His crucifixion. Peter, so close to Jesus. He was there at the Transfiguration. He was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was so close to Jesus. He was the inner circle. This is the guy who had Jesus' back. Betrays him three times just prior to this. Judas, a person who was individually chosen by Jesus to be a follower of Him, betrays Him for some coin, for some money. When Jesus rode into the Jerusalem, the people came and they threw down their, their clothes and they cut off palm branches and they put palm branches on the road because they did not want the donkey that Jesus was riding on to have to touch the ground. They called Him Hosanna. And now, commentaries and theologians agree that these may have been the very people who were shouting, crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. And there, in the midst of the physical pain, in the midst of the insult, Jesus forgives. Think about this. In order for Jesus to draw the breath into His body, to say these words, He would have had to pull Himself up on those nails. So in other words, for Jesus to give forgiveness and to pray for forgiveness, it actually hurt more. But He did it in the moment. When must we forgive? We must forgive in the moment. Why? Because this is what will happen if you don't. Someone will come and they will do something and they'll wrong you. And... You will carry that with you. And then the next time you see this person, you'll find yourself not looking at them as the individual that they are, but you will now be seeing them through this unforgiveness that you have towards Him. And as this happens longer and longer, you will begin to resent this person. And then you will begin to um, be angry with them. You will become bitter. You may even be filled with hatred towards this person. And as time goes on and as time goes on, all of a sudden you will find yourself saying these words, I can never forgive them for what they did to me. Because too much time has passed. When should we forgive? We must forgive in the moment. Friends, I understand none of this is easy to hear. But it will help us. 
I believe sometimes that some of the reasons we have such a hard time with forgiving people is because we have a wrong understanding of what forgiveness is. We have made forgiveness or we've identified or defined forgiveness as something that it's not. And so let's just spend a moment and look at what are three different wrong ideas of what forgiveness is. Wrong definitions of what forgiveness is. The first one is this. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. You may say, well, what about in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, where Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I don't believe that Paul was talking about not remembering. I believe what Paul was talking about was he was no longer going to allow the past to interfere with his future. Forgiveness means that we are not going to allow the experiences of the past to dominate the future. We are not going to allow those negative and those hurtful experiences of our past to dominate what our future is, what God has in store for us. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Lisa Gertz, a survivor of the Holocaust, lost her entire family in Germany. Before escaping Germany herself, she became a Christian as a result of seeing a vision of Jesus, a fellow Jew, suffering on the cross for the sins of humanity. And in her book, book, I Stepped Into Freedom, she says this, Slowly I walk on, carrying my sins daily to the cross, then returning to struggle along my life's path on which the slanting rays of the setting sun already cast a shadow. I will still weep when I think of a tall, blonde man who was my husband. My heart still aches with longings for a slim, lovely girl, for a small, sunny-haired boy. My thoughts turn mournfully to my mother and my brother buried somewhere in an unknown grave in what is now to me a foreign country. I know that only God Himself will wipe away all tears when I see my Lord in glory. But there is no bitterness or hatred in my heart. One cannot live with bitterness and hatred. This woman and so many others who endured that tragic time in life, this woman had not forgotten. This woman had not forgotten what was in the past, but she has clearly forgiven and moved forward. The past, the horrors of what happened, did not dominate her future. A second thing that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not avoidance. As humans, we often have minor irritations in relationships with other people. But when real hurt comes, or when a serious wrong has been done, it does not help to say, that doesn't matter. Forgiveness is not merely a soft attitude towards a harsh fact. Forgiveness is the vital action of love seeking to restore the harmony that has been shattered. That comes from a man named Dwight Small. Forgiveness is not a soft attitude towards a harsh fact. Can I say something to you? 
Maybe you haven't heard before. Maybe you have, but this is true. If you have been hurt, you have a right to be hurt. The pain that someone caused you is real pain. And you cannot avoid it. In order to truly forgive, we cannot avoid the truth. In order to truly forgive somebody, we cannot pretend it was nothing. Because then why would forgiveness be necessary? That pain you feel, the pain that you experience, do not allow it to become something that causes you to resent the person. Do not allow it to become something that you causes you to hate the person or to stay stuck in a rut. But do not deny the pain you feel. You can forgive. You can forgive. Another thing that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not excusing. I like to again quote this Mr. Tripps. He says, Forgiveness is not denying that one has caused the hurt is responsible, but the one who has caused the hurt is responsible for their actions. There is a place for making allowances for people's behavior. However, there is a tendency towards to err too much in that direction. It is true that some people are more sinned against than sinning. But to deny responsibility for the choices we make is to lessen our dignity as human beings. We are being created or we are created in the image of God who calls us into account for our moral choices. Invariably, we mess things up. But if we are to grow, we must accept responsibility for our own part in that process. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, If one was really not to blame, then there is nothing to forgive. In that sense, forgiveness and excusing are almost opposite. If one was truly not to blame, then there is nothing to forgive. Forgiveness is not excusing what happened. You may have heard these. I've heard them. People will say things like, well, they didn't mean to. I knew my dad was mad. I shouldn't have talked to him then. I wore the wrong thing. I was probably asking for it. I knew the, the situation was tense. I shouldn't have said what I wanted to say. I should have just been quiet. I shouldn't have gone there. And on and on, the excuses come. Forgiveness is not excusing. I want to say to you again, that pain you feel is real. That pain that you endured is real. And let me just say to you, for some of you, maybe you are dealing here today with an enormous amount of pain. You are struggling with incredible, deep pain. As a matter of fact, the person that wronged you took delight in doing so. They took delight in what they were doing and they did it repeatedly. I would say to you today, it is possible that you can identify with Christ even more because of what He endured on the cross. You can identify with Christ more than those who have not endured incredible pain because you can see with Jesus the incredible pain He endured. And folks, 
he forgave. Forgiveness is not making excuses. Then here's the final question. What now? What do we do now? It takes a lot of courage to forgive. It will take a lot of strength for you to forgive. But it will set you free. It will set you free. It may not heal the pain that you have, or it may not take it away, but it allows you, it allows you to move on. You may not forget, and very likely you will not forget what happened, but you won't be stuck there either. You may not feel that you have the strength to do it on your own. You may need to find someone to journey with you on this difficult journey towards forgiveness. And find someone. And finally, you may need, and you will need, to completely place your faith in God. I want to read to you a comforting verse from Isaiah Verses 40, or chapter 40, sorry, verses 28. Isaiah writes this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength. He gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary they will walk and will not faint. God will be your strength. God will give you what you need so that you can be free. God will give you the strength. He will be your strength. If you need to today, take this incredible act and say, I will forgive regardless of what my heart feels. I will forgive. I will release myself from the experiences of the past. And you feel that you cannot do it. You may even be saying right now, I can't. I can't do it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And if you cannot do it on your own, that's understandable. If you need to take someone with you, that's okay. If this is a process, then begin the process. Begin the journey towards forgiveness. God will be your strength. You can be free. I want to pray with you. If the group could come up. And I will just simply make this available. We have a number of pastors here with us today. You do not need to come up during the song. If you want to, you can. I hadn't planned on doing this. But if you want to come up maybe after, and we'll just ask that if, 
we could, after the service, just allow this place to be a quiet place of prayer. If there would be some of you here today and you're saying, you know what, if nothing else, I just want to be prayed for. Would you come and receive the prayer that you need? Would you come and receive the support that you need? I give you that as an opportunity towards healing. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that for those that are in this room right now whose eyes are teary and whose minds are racing and whose hearts are at unrest, Father, I pray be their strength. Be their comforter. Lord Jesus, if there is anything that is standing as a barrier for us to have full freedom, Father, may they have the courage today to forgive and to remove that barrier. Lord Jesus, we cannot do this on our own. You have given us an example of the incredible strength that you had to forgive in that moment of pain and suffering. So Father, we lean on you for our strength. But Lord, you have called us to be people who are free. And you will set us free. And so Lord, give us what we need. Give us the courage and the strength to do what we must do. And that is to forgive. In the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Please stand and sing with us.